Well, good morning, Three Trails family. How's everybody doing? Are you sure? Are we good? All right. Just making sure. Hey, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're wrapping up our Y sermon series. We're going to be uh, dealing with a number, well, not, not really a number of issues. We're going to be dealing with a issue on a number of different levels today. We're going to be talking about why being generous. Why should I be generous in everything that I do? You know, um, in today's world, to a certain extent, materialism has blinded a lot of us from seeing and many people from seeing the things the way God wants us to see them. As a matter of fact, as you look around in the midst of, of, of what you run into day in and day out, maybe materialism is the very thing that drives a lot of people. Money, I believe, is an important topic. And what's crazy about money is this, that everybody likes to talk about money until the pastor talks about it. And trust me, it's one of those things as a pastor, you're like, man, I know the minute I bring up money, people are automatically going to go, well, see, here's another church wanting our money. But I want to clarify a number of things today. When we talk about generosity is we're not setting out just to talk about what you can do to benefit the church, but rather what God can do to benefit you on the issue of money or generosity within your life. See, money is an important topic, right? Like, we need it to live to a certain extent, right? Money is an important topic. You need it to live. You need it to make an income. You need it to buy food. You need it to, to kind of get along in life. And if you remember anything about the video last week we, play, we played uh, when we were talking about what it means to live a sent life, did you know that if you make more than, get this, $18,000 a year that you're in the top 2% in the world? Ouch. So like when you hear this, let me be very clear, false dichotomy or this false message from the people who say, well, it's the richest 1% who are the problem within our society. The truth of the matter is, guess who you are? Well, not really. If you exceed $18,000, you are in the top 2% in the world. There are people in this world, as a matter of fact, I'll give you some statistics. They were mentioned a little bit last week, but Jesus talked a lot about money. 16 of his 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and or your possessions. In the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses, 288 verses in the four Gospels deal directly with the subject of money. One in 10, 10%. Huh. That's Keep that in mind, 10%, all right? We'll just put it that way, right? All right? The Bible gives us 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. If you were to read the book of Proverbs, which I highly encourage everybody to do, because Proverbs is very big on wisdom. That's the whole idea. And how I approach dealing with my finances and dealing with my work and dealing with my possessions and things like that, it helps me learn to understand that there is a wise way to deal with and to talk about money. As a matter of fact, I'm going to throw this out there. It has been said that there are three things that will get a preacher in trouble. Wealth wine, and women. And I think we could look back and say that to a certain extent, that may be a problem for people, period, would be the idea of wealth or wine or a person in a relationship, whether it's you're a woman and it's a man or vice versa, a man and a woman. We have to begin to think that there are things that people oftentimes say, well, the church should do this, but they shouldn't talk about things like this. You know, one of the things that I run into oftentimes is people say, well, the church needs to do more for the poor. Okay. But the last I checked, the church is funded by who? 
Let's think about this. Let's, let's just kind of play this out a little bit further. Who is the church? We are, right? Right? So when somebody says the church should do more for the poor, what are they telling you? You should do more for the poor, right? Like you and I as a part of the church should do more for the poor. You should do more for the community or you should do more for the, those who are in need in different circumstances and situations. And while I'll say, yes, I agree, we have to begin to understand that the church has been the foundation or the starting point of many great nonprofit organizations as well as healthcare ministry things that go on that help serve the poor. Matter of fact, if you were to take the church out of certain things like that, the nonprofit seg- sector, if you take the church out of the healthcare sector, you would realize real quickly, we would realize, or the world would realize real quickly, how much the church contributes or participates with and helps those who are in financial need. So we can look at the negatives, but I always want to say this, we have to look at the positives. And so today when I say this, why be generous, our goal is not today to lecture you or to communicate to you from a tithe basis. We're going to talk about a tithe basically or very briefly, but my goal is to get to the heart of what's it mean to be a generous person or why should I be generous? Because I believe this wholeheartedly that generosity is an antidote to greed, right? The more I'm generous the more I'm taking this antidote toward greed in my life. a matter of fact, there is no spiritual virtue associated with poverty. And listen, there is no inherent wickedness in wealth. There's a lot of people who say, oh, you're poor, must be doing things right. Like, like people would take the vow of poverty in obedience, what they would say is in obedience to God. I've taken the vow of poverty. And they'll use an argument like, well, the foxes have holes or have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So it shows he was poor, all right? But at the same time, listen, there is nothing inherently wrong with being wealthy. It's all about what has your heart. Too many people spend money they earn to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like or respect, Right? And this is one of those issues. So if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians, or sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 3. Now we're going to read a section of scripture. We're going to skip part of it, and we're going to go on and read the rest. So starting in verse 3, listen to what he says. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is what? Conceited, right? And understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversy. So a person teaches false doctrines, they're conceited, they don't like to or they understand nothing, they have an unhealthy interest in controversy. Heck, all you got to do is go on social media and you got all kinds of that, right? And quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think, listen, that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many 
griefs. Then jump down to verse 17 and listen to what Paul tells Timothy here. He says this in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age or in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything. Say everything. Everything for our what? Enjoyment. All right? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here's what I want to say to us today is this idea of what it means to be a person who lives with a generous spirit, who lives with generous attitudes and actions and the way we deal with Money. Number one, I want, to, I want you to remember this. If you remember anything else, remember this statement. That godly obedience leads me to have a biblical view on money that leads to a healthy view of generosity. Do you hear that? That godly obedience leads me to have a biblical view on money that leads me to have a healthy view of generosity. Right? Generosity, I believe, is just a simple fact. It's an overflow of what God has done in you. So I can be generous in love because God gave love first to me. And I can be generous in grace because God gave grace first to me. And I can be generous with money because God gave me what I own. As a matter of fact, we're going to dig into it and understand that a little bit more. But why should I be generous? I want you to see, I have four things that I want to give you today that I believe we should understand why we should be generous. Number one is this, because generosity is built on sound biblical teaching. Listen to what he says. If anyone teaches false doctrines, now, let me clarify, there are a lot of things that are thrown out there in the world, this idea and these thoughts about what it means. It could be this get-rich-quick scheme. It could be the pyramid schemes. It could be all kinds of things that go on out there that people would say, look, if you just do this, you can gain more money or you can get rich quick. Go and sell this. Matter of fact, when I was in the Navy, I remember this uh, letter that went around the ship and it was crazy. It was kind of one of these stupid letters. I couldn't tell you exactly what it was, but basically you send this letter to 100 individuals, stamp it all out, and you tell all those people to send you a dollar and then you'll tell them how to get rich, right? And what you do is, Everybody sends you a dollar and you tell them, hey, you send the same letter to 100 people and you just continue to do that over and over and over again. And I was like, what kind of mess is this? Because one of the guys brought it in. And he's like, here, I'm doing this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. And he's like, what? He's like, think about it. If you send this out to a bunch of people, you make $500 in no time. And I'm like, yeah. And I have 500 people who want to slit my throat. He's like, this is not, this isn't integ- This isn't a person of integrity or righteousness or anything else like that. And so you have schemes like that. And there's this old adage that if I, if I can just figure out the right thing, that I can make money or make more money or make money quicker, when the reality is that money isn't what produces happiness, money isn't often what produces joy, but money is simply a tool to be used just as is everything else that we have that God has given us. So listen, God has something to say about money, right? And the Bible is full of truth to help us lead full lives, but to be generous as well. See, some will say the pastor's talking about the money, but the Bible talks about it, so we have to address these issues that goes on. And so listen, here's what happens. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, it says he is conceited and understands nothing. 
Now listen to me. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I am some financial expert, right? I have done some hard work. I have done some investigating. I was raised. I was talking to some of the guys out in the lobby before church. I was raised by parents who, when Dave Ramsey came out, I'm like, what the heck? This is nothing new. Like, my parents taught me this stuff. And everybody's like, what? My parents didn't do that. Like, when Dave Ramsey's talking about the envelope system, I'm like, bro, I remember when I was like two years old, my mom would be like, here's a dime for giving, and here's a dime for savings, and here's 80 cents for you to spend however you want. And I grew up that way. But I look at other people, and they're like, I've never heard of that until Dave Ramsey comes out and talks about Financial Peace University. These are biblical truths that are passed on that we can begin to build our lives upon so that we can experience. Listen to verse uh, 17, then to verse, sorry, verse uh, 19. He says, to take hold of the life that is truly life. See, here's what I view. Number one, if you let greed or money control you, then I believe you never experience life to the fullest because you don't experience the generosity that God wants to use you for to help invest in somebody else right? So if I let greed control me, that becomes an issue. Or I may say, you know what? I'm not going to listen to this. You don't need to talk to me about finances. And we begin to operate with our finances in a way that's unbiblical. I believe that God will also say, fine, I'm going to take it from you because you're being dishonest and you're being unrighteous with what I've given you. So there are two extremes that we could go down when we look at that, all right? But listen, When he says this, if anyone teaches a false doctrine and does not agree to the sound instruction, what we have to begin to understand is there is some false teaching that has risen up within the church, within churches, and this idea of false doctrine and sound instruction is complete opposites. So what he's saying is this, there is false teaching and there is truth. And there are people who want to stand over on the side, and I'll use the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel that wants to stand there and say, if you are obedient, if you do everything the way God wants you to do it, then you're going to be rich. And I'll be honest with you, I got problems with pastors who do that. I remember sitting in seminary, and I watch pastors just to listen and things like that. I remember sitting in seminary, and I'm watching this pastor, and they did these, these prayer letters that they sent out to people around the world. And they said, send in your $20 and your prayer request and we'll pray over it. And I remember watching this on TV as they come in with trash cans. I'm talking like the big, you know, huge trash cans, you know, this tall. And they're coming in, they're dumping these piles of letters that people had mailed in, $20 for every letter. And the stage was just covered in it. And the pastor says, see, I'm going to pray over these. And he falls on the letters and lays there and prays. And I went, oh my gosh. He just suckered a bunch of people out of a bunch of money. And so please hear me out when I say that. There is a teaching that goes on in the church, within churches. As a matter of fact, you can turn on some TV at times. You're going to hear things like this. If you're obedient, the Lord wants you to be rich. He does. But it may not mean financially. It may mean this is a very simple thing, that he wants you to be rich in the grace and the truth and the knowledge of who Jesus is and to pass that on, to be rich in generous deeds and good works. Those are things that play big time out in the world of a Christian. Matter of fact, it says this, Billy Graham said this, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will straighten out almost every other area in his life. If my attitude towards money is in line with what God teaches, 
then I believe he will align everything else in my life to make sense. See, false doctrine and sound instruction are completely opposite. And listen to what he says in verse 4. It says the person who teaches false doctrine or the person who does not agree with sound instruction is conceited and understands what? Nothing. Like you stand there and you're like, wait a second, nothing. Like there's lots of things I understand, Brian, but what he's saying is when you don't have the sound instruction and you follow false teaching, then you understand nothing. And you say, it says he has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in what? Envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of truth. And listen to what he says. And who think godliness is a means to financial gain. So here's the false teaching. Here's the false doctrine that if I'm godly, God is going to bless me financially. Did you hear what that, just, that verse just said? That godliness leads to financial gain. Please hear me out. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being poor. The problem becomes when we think that, God, you owe me because I have been obedient to what you have called me to do. Ouch. Now we begin to walk on eggshells. Now we begin to fall into a false teaching or a false doctrine and unsound teachings. And when those things rise up, then we become a problem. Matter of fact, here's another false teaching that I've heard. And I would say ventures to be one of those things that people like to argue with um, on words. Matthew 23, verse 23. I've heard it said multiple times. People say, well, tithing was Old Testament and the New Testament is just being generous. That there's no standard. So if I give 1%, I give 1%. But all I can ever find within Scripture is this, that in every way, shape, and form, when Jesus came, Jesus never lightened the load or made it easier. Jesus always raised the bar. So please hear me out when I say this, and this is one of the things that we live by. I grew up, I told you on the envelope system, we pay or we give 10% back all the time, no matter what. Right? That's our tithe. And then our generosity is anything above and beyond. We give 10% to the church as our own individual. My wife and I have done this. We raise our kids to do this. My parents raised us that way. My grandparents would tell you the same thing they did. We give a flat 10% of everything we make to the church. Anything above and beyond that is above and beyond that. That's generosity. So we support a world vision child, right? That's above and beyond our 10%. I don't take money from the church and go, well, I'm going to support World Vision. If somebody comes up and says, hey, I'm raising money, I need to go on a mission trip, we give that out of the kindness of our heart. It's a generosity thing. And it begins to be this big play of what God wants to do in our lives because he's already blessed us with what we have. So I tell people this all the time. Jesus never lowered the bar, he always raised the bar. So listen to Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. When people say, God doesn't need the tithe anymore. The New Testament doesn't talk about it. Listen to what happens in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, which is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He says this, You should have practiced the latter, in other words, the justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. These are the words of Jesus. So what he says is, don't give up tithing, but you need to be generous in your gifts of justice and mercy and faithfulness throughout. 
Because all of those things go hand in hand. How my finances relate to my life also affect how I relate to others with graciousness and with mercy and with justice and righteousness. Wise stewardship and biblical financial truth versus false teaching which stems from a bad understanding of God and His words. We choose. And so listen, I say this wholeheartedly. Did you know that the more we learn about God, the more we understand generosity and money correctly? Like every time that God has been generous with me, I look back and I go, God, thank you. I learned to see his faithfulness. I learned to see his provision. I learned to see how he takes care of us with our, here's the big struggle with most people today. He takes care of us with our needs. Not always what I want. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's lots of things I want. Like, I want a place with uh, 200 acres of huntable land so I can set up deer stands, and I can go out and not be bothered. I'm an extrovert. My wife's like, what the heck is wrong with you? Like, I've always said, when I retire, I'm disappearing to the mountains in Wyoming, and my wife's like, I'm the introvert, and there's no way we're doing that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This can be great. She's like, no way. <laughs> right? But I'm the guy now, I'm getting to this point where it's like, I want the 200 acres with a couple of ponds that can be stocked, where I can hunt turkey, and I can hunt deer, and I can just disappear to those 200 acres, and leave me alone, and everything's great. But listen, generosity is not always about getting more or getting more financially. Generosity is about giving from what the Lord has already blessed you with. So listen, generosity is built on sound biblical teaching. Number two, and I said this earlier, generosity is an antidote to greed. Listen to what happens in verse six. What's he say? But godliness with what is great gain? Contentment, right? So there's this idea of what it means to be content with what God has given me, right? Like, I can't sit here and compare myself to Bill Gates or I can't compare myself to, to, to Patrick Mahomes. Heck, man, who wouldn't want to sign a $500 million contract? I mean, like, like when I hear kids nowadays, they're like, we want to be a famous YouTuber. I'm like, have you seen what Patrick Mahomes is getting paid? <laughs> I mean, like, who doesn't want that kind of money? And I can sit there and go, well, that's evil. That's wicked. That's crazy. No, listen, I have to learn to be content. That where God has me is where I was supposed to be in the first place. That God has directed me and led me into this world, into this situation, into this time, so that I'm content with what he's given me. Listen, I believe one of the biggest things is that when we begin to be envious or jealous of what everybody else has, I think that's what's leading to some of our problems within our own culture. That's why we want to say, well, you need to tax the 1% more than everybody else. Show me biblically where that's ever ever worked. Matter of fact, biblically what it would say is this, that everybody pays an equal share. So if we really wanted to get into that, then we would look at what it means to be an equal share, that everybody pays an equal percentage or things like that. Generosity is an antidote to greed. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, for godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. What you have now and what you are going to have when you die is only what you have as a result of what God has blessed you with. Matter of fact, I say this, what you have now is a result of the stewardship of what God has given you. And there's a lot of people who go, I don't understand why I don't have more money, or I don't understand why I don't have more trust with people, or I don't understand, do you understand what it takes to do those things? 
If you want more money, I have to be wise biblically, financially. So I learned to save in a proper format and fashion. I learned to give and be generous in a way that God wants it to do. Why? Because generosity is an antidote to greed. I can do everything all the time for all the money in the world, and I'm not going to be satisfied. We see that throughout Hollywood. We see it throughout even players that are athletes and things like that. Over and over and over again, these people who have loads of money who are running to drugs and alcohol and sex and end up committing suicide, even though they, based upon our standards, would say they got it all. Generosity is an antidote to greed. I I saw this quote, and I think it's great. Contentment makes poor men rich, but discontentment makes rich men poor. Being content with what I have makes a poor man rich. In other words, I learn that what I have is everything that I need from God. That God will provide me for all my needs in every way, shape, or form that he's going to do that. But I also want you to understand this from a larger perspective. That in order to be content, in order to break the cycle of greed, I have to begin to understand what he plays out. So listen to verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into what? Temptation and a trap and into, any, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Do you hear what he's saying? So generosity is this antidote to greed, but when I strive to get rich, oftentimes is when I make the dumb decision. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's like, oh, I got this money and I go and blow it. Matter of fact, I got a bunch of buddies who go to the casinos and stuff like that, right? Anybody ever gambled? I did it once, not going to lie. I used to have to fly from Seattle to Denver when I was in the Navy, and I would fly Reno Air because Reno Air was cheap. I could get a round-trip ticket from Seattle to Denver for 160 bucks. And Southwest wasn't a thing really back then, it didn't seem like, or if it was, I didn't know where they were at. But the thing about Reno Air is you had to fly into Reno, Nevada every time. Didn't matter. You flew into Reno, and you had a layover. So I flew into Reno the very first time, and I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and I got $5, and I'm like, huh. And all these people are playing slot machines. So I'm like, I'll go do that. I got $5 and quarters, walked over a slot machine, and about four minutes later, I was walking away with nothing. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> and I went, yep, just wasted five bucks, and I'm glad it was only five bucks, and I'll never do it again. And I haven't gambled since. But I want you to play this out. Listen to what he says. People who want to get rich fall into temptation. So when I set my heart on the desire to get rich, I fall into a temptation that's going to lead me in a direction. And listen, James is very clear on this, that no temptation has seized you except for what is common to man. That every man has this desire, but I have to learn to take temptation and not give in to the temptation. So he says that. And and then I can fall into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So what it is is a downward spiral. When I'm not being a person of generosity, but I'm seeking more and more money, it's a downward spiral into the depths, into the struggles of temptation, which leads to sin, which leads to ruin and destruction. Why? Because I set out to get rich. I didn't set out to be content with what the Lord had given me. I set out to get rich. And when I set out to get rich, I begin to do things that don't line up with what Scripture says. Now, let me be clear, because there are people who are going to say, well, I'm rich. I have money. Are you telling me I'm a sinner? No, that's not all what I was saying. 
What I'm saying is, if you let the rich or the idea or the desire for the money overwhelm obedience or overcome obedience or overcome the generosity that God wants from us, then it becomes a problem. Here's what verse 10 says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You hear that? The love of money. It would carry this idea of this, that money exceeds everything else that I love money more than I love my family, that I love money more than I love obedience, I love money more than I love God, that all of those things, when I allow that to become the problem or become the the issue or the direction, then what's going to happen is it's literally going to lead me down this road where I'm going to walk away from the truth, is what he says, who have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. When I proceed after all of those things, I begin to have a problem or a struggle. So here's what I say when I say this. Generosity is an, is an antidote to greed. But I want you to understand this. When I grasp God's ownership of everything, that is the foundation upon which biblical theology of money is built. You ever heard that? The biblical theology of money. In other words, God has something to say about our finances, that there are false teachings based upon money that are running rampant within our society. But listen, there is a biblical theology of money in order for us to align our lives and be right where he wants us to be, not wandering away from the faith and not piercing ourselves with these many griefs. As a matter of fact, I want to lay it out this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says this, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. And Paul's laying this out to the church at Corinth so that they could provide for the missionaries who are going to be going out and sharing the gospel in the towns and the villages around the city of Corinth. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not listen Throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for you to store it. So here's this idea that we're not seeking to love money or to chase after money and allow money to sit on our throne, but Jesus needs to be the one who sits on our throne. Jesus doesn't need our wallet. He wants your heart. So here's number three, and I'm going to wrap in verses 17 and following. If godly obedience leads me to have a biblical view on money that leads to a healthy view of generosity, then number three is this, that generosity puts my hope in God. Listen to what he says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in who? God. So I don't let my finances be the very thing that I put my hope in. That, listen, I... (laughs) I know an individual right now who would tell you if he died that he thinks he's going to take it all with him. I'm dead serious. We've had conversations about it. And I'm like, bro, look at the Egyptian pharaohs who were buried with all that money, and guess where it's at? Well, it's been, it's been archaeologically, whatever, you know, exhumed or whatever they call it now. But there, were, there are all kinds of people who have thought, oh, I got it. I can take it with me. It's not going to happen. The Bible is very clear that you, what you have now is you being a steward of what God has given you, but you're not going to be able to take it with you. Listen, listen again what he says. Command those who are rich in this present world. 
Now, again, I'm going to go to this because everybody always wants to say this. Well, everybody else is rich, not me. If you make more than $18,000 a year, you are what? Rich. Let me give some, some statistics. This will blow your mind. Today, over 2 billion people live and die in desperate poverty on less than $2 a day, which means that nearly over 25% of the world struggles to find food, shelter, and medical care for the same amount we spend on a drink when we go out to eat. Ouch. And for those of you who like to go and buy a 5 or $6 Starbucks coffee once a day for a week, ouch. This kind of hurts because as I think about it, we went to Red Robin the other night for my daughter's birthday and I bought a freckled lemonade. Love the freckled lemonades. Anybody like Red Robin? Freckled lemonade, strawberry lemonade? Oh my gosh. It's just, it's a lemonade, but it's got strawberries in it. Oh man, it's like my favorite drink ever. My wife looks over at me when we're paying the bill. She's like, seriously? You and Ethan cost us 10 bucks because of your stupid freckled lemonades. And I was like, uh-oh. Because <laughs> we usually try and we're always like water. No water. We're not paying for a drink. It's water. It's cheaper, right? But it's like, oh, Red Robin freckled lemonade. So as I'm prepping this sermon this week, and I, I found this statistic, I went, oh. Think about that. Two billion people in this world who live on less than $2 a day. Matter of fact, the statistic I read was that over 1 billion people in this world live on $2 or less, and then another 1 billion actually live on a dollar or less per day. So when I say if you make more than $18,000, we're not exaggerating here because the world's population as of 2020 was 7.75 billion people. If over 2 billion people live on, that's 25% of the world's population who can't afford food, shelter, and medical care. My time in the Navy when we pulled into Pattaya Beach, Thailand, and we're sitting there and we're staying in these hotels, and I look out the window of my hotel and I look back across this neighborhood where literally all the homes are tin shacks that are probably five foot by five foot. And they're just next door to each other with these little narrow dirt road village type alleyways. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Right next to the upscale hotels that we're staying in in Patty Beach, Thailand. Listen, generosity puts our hope in God, but generosity is also our response to what God does. See, God doesn't need us to give him our money. He owns everything. Tithing is just God's way to grow Christians. That's what he's laying out when he talks about this idea of growing in the faith. Don't wander from the faith, but grow in the faith. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I want you to think about that. If you can remember anything from today, remember this, that everything that God has provided for you in that circumstance, that situation is for your what? Enjoyment. Like not to hoard it, not to be the person who's like, oh, I'm never going to share, not to be the person who says, you know, but it's also to be the person of generosity. And listen, here's one of the greatest things about it. When I am generous with what God has given me, it gives me an opportunity to invest and see my money multiply. I don't know about you, but I watch my retirement. Like I have invested for my retirement and I've been doing it just a little at a time over and over and over again. I go, wow, look at what I got. And it's nice to see that grow, but you know what's even more exciting is where I can look and I can say, I helped somebody out and look at where they're at now. 
That's the generosity that the Lord is talking about. Wealth is so uncertain, but God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And number four, why should I be generous? Because generosity allows me to grow as a disciple. Listen to what he says in verse 18. Command them to do what? He gives three statements here. To do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Here's the truth of the matter and the heart of what God wants us to understand when he's talking about finances and biblical finances. Yes, we got to be wise in how we steward what we got. Yes, we need to be content, to be content with where the Lord leads us. But listen, we also need to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So generosity allows me to grow as a disciple because generosity shows, listen, that money doesn't own me. That the money is not what's sitting on the throne of my heart, but that Jesus does. And so he lays that out and he says, listen, make sure you do good, that you're rich in good deeds, that you're generous and willing to share because here's why. In this way, you're gonna lay up treasures in heaven or treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you and I may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here's the way I look at it from a bigger picture perspective. If I saved constantly and never gave, was never generous, then I would never experience the full life that God had for me in the beginning. Because I'm hoarding it all. Over and over and over again, since my my dad has passed away, I've heard this statement from my mom. I just want to watch you enjoy what I'm giving you. And it's like, because I'm like, we'll go out to eat. My mom comes into town. We constantly argue over this. We go out to eat, and she's trying to pay. And I'm like, no, you're not paying for us. It's one of you, five of us. And so this last time she was here, whatever, three weeks ago, I told her to knock it off. I wasn't putting up with any more. <laughs> and she goes, don't you take away my blessing. And I was like, what? And she goes, I want to enjoy this time with you while I'm here, and I want to help. And I was like, ouch. Because my mom's generosity was just saying, I want to help and provide in a way And I was just being the stubborn, call it a stubborn male if you want to call that. I'm good with that, all right? I was being the stubborn boy who's trying to protect my mom, right? Like I'm lecturing my mom on, mom, you got to make sure people aren't taking advantage of your money. Mom, you can't do that. Mommy, and she's like, will you knock it off? (laughs) And I was like, I'm just trying to protect you, mom. She's like, that's good, but I want to help. I want to be generous, I want to be the one who gets to take a hold of life. And so what I always say is this, that if somebody wants to provide, if somebody wants to give, if somebody wants to be generous, never take that away from them and the opportunity that that gives them to invest in your life. Because this is why. It says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for this coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here's the truth. That generosity, as it allows me to grow, allows me to experience life on a greater level. Like, I think about how many times you guys have been generous to people who have come in off the streets, 
to individuals who have come in who have been an absolute wreck with drugs and alcohol addiction and things like that where you have provided. I thank you for your benevolence that you have given to help families out when they're in times of need and financial difficulty. All of those are things that we get to experience as a church when we give because we're able to do this. Out of the generosity of your heart, the church's mission flourishes. And I believe wholeheartedly that in order for us to continue to make an impact, in order for us to be a generous church, that we just need to be faithful for what God's called us to do, to be content with where God has us. Why? Because God has placed us here in, in, in such a time as this for us to do great works right here in the city of Independence. Listen, we, t- we started this sermon series with this whole idea of what's it look like? Why do we do what we're doing? Why believe? Why belong? Why become? Why be sent? Why be generous? And I believe it's wholeheartedly just wrapped up in this. Because God called us to, period. God planted us here in Independence for a reason. God has this church established here in Independence for a reason. God brought you to Independence and the Three Trails for a reason. That God wants to multiply our efforts and that we get to experience. Listen, we get to experience life to its fullest when we're obviously generous people that we can help those out around us. Did you know that 73% of the families around our church are broken families? Did you know that 73% of the individuals who live around our church are opioid addicts? Did you know that financially across the street from our church, the median income is $18,000? Remember what I said? $18,000 or more, you're what? Considered rich by worldly standards. But we all know that $18,000 doesn't go a long way in the American economy. Did you know that we have people who are lost and dying who don't know the good news of Jesus Christ who live right next door to us? And did you also know that God put you here for a reason? And you may not have a lot of money, and please hear me out, it's not about how much you have. It's about the obedience of what God has called you to do. There's a parable in the New Testament where these people had given all kinds of money under the sun. And there's one lady who comes in with one coin. And Jesus looks at him and says, who gave, who gave more? And everybody wants to look at the total and go, oh, well, these people gave more. And Jesus said, no, the lady, she gave more because she gave everything she had. Showing that money wasn't what owned her but that she was willing to put obedience to God first and foremost. So here's what I want to do. We're just going to close with this invitation. we got some announcements. But I want you to think about it this way and pray specifically about this. And please hear me out. We're going to, we're going to, we'll talk more on finances later. We'll probably do a sermon series on that. This is not just a lecture about tithe. This is a lecture or a, or a, a sermon about generosity. And I just want to ask you this question. Where is your heart? Remember what the Bible says, the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. Listen, generosity is the antidote to greed. What is the Lord calling you to do today? Maybe it's a tithe, maybe it's things like that, but maybe, just maybe, it's the generosity that you need to give to somebody else. It could be financial, but it could be grace. It could be mercy. 
could be words of truth to a person who is walking in darkness and looking for direction in life. And all they need is the generous attitude of you who says, listen, I'm content. I know, I know the Lord has planted me in there, here in this time and in this place to speak truth to this person. Father, we thank you for your good news. And I thank you for the fact that we know that, that finances can oftentimes be a tough subject to deal with. But Lord, I also know that there may be some today who would say, I don't have a lot. I haven't made the best of decisions as I've moved forward. I haven't been faithful. I've allowed and I've chased after all kinds of things to fill a void in my life that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you just say, God, I need you to be king and Lord, not only over my life, but of my finances. Give me wisdom as I make decisions. Let me be wise in how I use my money so that I can be generous with what you've given me. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you give us. And God, we may not have a lot or some may have more, but it's not about how much we have, but it's what controls us. May we be people who don't walk away from the faith, who aren't misled or pierced by the anxiety and worry of where that money comes, but God, that we can hold what you've given us as stewards with an open hand to invest in those around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.